to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is Jonathan Pritchett. And today we're going to be responding again to atheist Emmett Meta as he continues to go through his 78 questions for Christians. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stick with us. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here and he is a New Testament guy and does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. So is the guy on the left Jerry Lewis and uh, Braxton's trying to be Dean Martin here? <laughs> the straight guy and the funny guy? They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this, it, I, I, I was not impressed. Hell, Jonathan Pritchett. This Jonathan Pritchett. Fresh and Jonathan Pritchett. Jonathan Pritchett. And Respectfully, that sounds like a little bit of a dodge. I'm claiming victory. So where I come from, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. All right, Jonathan, what do you have to say for yourself today? Well, today is April Fool's Day, so today we want to dedicate Psalm 14.1 to a specific community that is so proud of their lacking. In addition to lacking their beliefs in a god or gods, they also lack an objective foundation for reason, logic, science, mathematics, morality, and even their own first-person intentional stances. So here's to you, atheists, uh, even though you also lack the capacity to recognize that you borrow from the worldview you oppose in order to champion those things, we love you anyway, and we're happy to share. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, praise the Lord. And as people are beginning to filter in, we are live today. This is not a previous recording. So if you have questions, feel free to ask those questions. We'll try to pick them up as we go along. Uh, if we don't get to them as we go along, we'll get to them in the end. And since Jonathan Pritchett is with us here today, we're going to follow Pritchett rules. And that means that if there's a super chat, we will try to uh, give those preferential treatment, although we don't expect or require it. We're giving all this to you free. Um, although, if you're there and you uh, would like to become a patron and continue to make this show possible, uh, you can visit us at patreon.com slash trinityradio, and we would love that. If you're seeing this after the live stream, when it's not live anymore, you can click in the top right-hand corner of this screen. But uh, when you go, when you be, look, we don't have commercials, so let us say this one thing before we get started, and that is... Um, if you become a patron, guess what you get? And this is not an April Fool's joke. You get not only episodes that we haven't previously released, you also get an explanation of how we make YouTube videos with a tour of our studio and the software we use and how to do it all on the cheap if you want to do that because we like to do things on the cheap. Also, you can uh, get 28 lectures, hundreds of topics, four full seminary-level courses on the problem of evil, why would a loving God allow pain and suffering, uh, major world religions, contemporary apologetics, and the philosophy of religion. You also get several ebooks, full ebooks. Uh, so if you are out there and you're wondering if I became a patron, would it be worth it? Not only will you get early access to many of our videos before everybody else does, which gives you bragging rights. You also get all of that really cool stuff and you get to support us. So I realize that coronavirus is making it where a lot of people have to tighten their belts. But if you are not in that situation and you're the kind of person that would buy us a cup of coffee or something, if you saw us once a month and you lived in our community, then we sure would appreciate it if you gave 
uh, $1, $5 or more. We really, really appreciate you. So end of video, in the, uh, sorry, end of commercial on this video and let's get right back to it. So Jonathan, this is the second uh, video in a series we're doing responding to the 78 questions that Hemet Meta has for Christians. He's also known as the Friendly Atheist. And we got through question nine of the 78 in an hour-long video last time. So do you think we're going to get... Now, I've primed clips up to 35 uh, questions. Do you think we're going to get up to question number 35? No. All right, easy enough. Um, let's see. First of all, let me just go ahead and try this out. Um, Ethan N. Says, we talk too much. It's funny that Atheist Day happens to fall on April Fool's Day. Coincidence? I think not. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, let's, uh, let's get right into it and we are excited to be here with you. So here is the first question from Hemet Meta. Whose prayers does God answer? All right, Jonathan, whose prayers does God answer? My answer would be God answers the prayers. There are, there are requirements in the Bible or explanations of what needs to be true. If you are going to, um, if you're if you're going to uh, pray and, and ha have an expectation that your prayers have a good chance of being answered. But beyond that, God answers the prayers that he wants to answer that fall in line with his ultimate desires for humanity. What do you say? Well, he doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked, but he does answer my prayers. So uh, I can also say that he definitely answers my wife's prayers and most of the time answers my prayers in a way that I find satisfactory. So I don't, you know, I'm not claiming any sort of supernatural power or anything, but when I uh, pray or see my wife pray, more often than not, it's answered in a way that is actually quite favorable to whomever we're praying for. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's just anecdotal experience, but that all piles up to add to the fact that I think that, yeah, um, God answers my prayer. I can I, I can certainly attest to that. Sometimes God answers my prayers in uh, ways that I don't like, but that doesn't mean it's not an answer. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if any of you are noticing any problems with our audio, I'm trying to figure out the new streaming software that I'm using to make that our audio is basically uh, close to the same volume. Uh, it's probably not perfect, but if you but can somebody let me know how that is also. Um, let me know if you're getting any kind of an echo or anything like that. That'd be really helpful. So, um, yeah, so that, that's pretty simple. Now, one thing I would uh, say going into this right from the beginning, because we're going to hear a lot of questions on prayer from him at the start of this video, and that is that, look, uh, when you live the Christian life, when you begin to go through life as a Christian, it, it doesn't, this is one of those things you kind of have to live with for a while. I mean, don't expect that you can become a Christian even legitimately become a Christian and then start praying. And it's like a superpower where stuff is happening left, right, and center that you pray for, like you're commanding reality. That's not how it works. Prayer ultimately, and we're going to come back to this again and again, prayer isn't a superpower. Prayer doesn't accomplish the things that you're praying for. Uh, when we say prayer works or uh, prayer does whatever, what we really mean by that is God does that because we asked him to. The prayer, what the prayer accomplishes is uh, our, uh, you know, communicating to God, you know, making our request known to God. That's what it does. We're thanking him or whatever else. But the prayer itself, it's not like prayer itself, independent of God, is some kind of a superpower. Um, but when you right. sit with it and live with it in the Christian life for long enough, what you start to experience is um, you start to see it happen enough 
that, and it's not like things, like, it's not like, oh, well, if you ask for things long enough, there's going to be a few, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut uh, every once in a while. No, 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 it's not like that. Really specific things happen multiple times in the Christian life, many times, um, at least it has in my life. I know it has in your life. And what that, what, what that does, cumulatively, it's like, yeah, you guys that aren't Christians, that's cute that you don't think it works, but it totally works because we've lived with it yeah. and we've experienced it, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, granted, um, no matter how much good I claim I'll do with it, I still haven't won the lottery, and I've asked for that um, before in the past. But, you know, it, it's just, you know, James talks about this. Uh, there, There is a sense in which sometimes you don't have things because you don't ask, you know. So it, it's not as if, you know, there's, a, there's, it, it's not like God is one, just Santa Claus in the sky who's ready to shower you with everything that you want. I mean, we've done episodes on prayer where we've correct wrong interpretations. I think there was a video we responded to Matt Dillahunty's um, understanding of certain passages that he got wrong. Um, but at the same time, uh, there is a sense in which, you know, if you do ask for things that you need, you do uh, have them provided. Uh, one, one of the things that, that, that really stands out to our family is that Misty wanted to go on a missions trip, but she found out about it a little bit late. And so uh, we needed to come up with some funds and it just turned out that the IRS had a fluke with her mom and stepdad's uh, tax return and sent uh, them a refund check uh, that they had failed to do from like two or three years prior. And so they were able to send that money to Misty so that she'd go on the missions trip. That same missions trip, by the way, uh, required that she get a passport, which she didn't have her passport ready. And in order to expedite that, you have to have a state senator, uh, uh, back, this is back in Arkansas, uh, put a rush on it so that you can get your passport. Well, one of the senators um, did not do that for uh, my wife. She said, no, uh, we're not going to do that for, for you. Um, but the other senator, David Pryor, um, I forgot the lady senator's name. She's no longer a senator. She got creamed uh, in a subsequent election. But uh, David Pryor, a Democrat senator from Arkansas, who's a pro-life, uh, was a pro-life Democrat when he was in office. But uh, he uh, he put a rush on it. You know, he, he was like, yeah, if you want to go on this missions trip, we'll get this done. And so all of that just kind of fell into place so that my wife could go to Mexico uh, on a missions trip. And we had, you know, we saw that easy to say, yeah, that's all coincidence. That's all happenstance or whatever. But it, it but like you said, when you live with this kind of thing long enough, it certainly doesn't look like that. You know, yeah. uh, I know, I know the difference between just a coincidence. Um, last week, um, you wore a shirt with my face on it and I wore a shirt with your face on it. And no, we weren't high school girls planning this. And that was a coincidence, right? Probably. But when you're praying, well, if you're uh, a divine determinist, it was, you know, to maximize God's greatest glory from time eternal, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it's still, from our perspective, a coincidence. Uh, but that's not the same thing as, you know, praying about going to a foreign country and all of those things falling into place the way they fell into place, you know. So, so things like that we all experience as Christians. Yeah. Um, 
I can I remember the whole way it came together for our family to move to Evansville for me to come work for Trinity. Uh, that all, uh, you know, from from getting out of our lease, um, from making arrangements uh, t- to come here, and all of that was uh, smooth sailing and pretty obvious that that was it was what God wanted us to to do in our family was to move to Evansville, and we had been considering other things, as you know. Uh, Braxton Hunter wasn't the only suitor for 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 our family to come uh, work for their institution. No, you were in high demand, brother. Yes, but but uh, uh, God made it quite clear that because Braxton Hunter um, marries apologetics with evangelism and actually wants to see people come to Christ and not just uh, mentally entertain ourselves with fanciful arguments and all of that, uh, that really. Uh, tip the scales. Yeah, so. and uh, but real simply, I'll give you, uh, there's a couple of good examples. You can go Google Mike Lycona and prayer, and you can find him explaining the story of, uh, on YouTube, Not don't Google it, go to YouTube and type that in. What you'll see is him telling the story of uh, an individual, and I always get this wrong, but something like they wanted to go to seminary, and the cost was like 200 or 2,000 something dollars to get started with their tuition, and it came down to the cent that a grandmother had recently died or so I'm probably getting this wrong, but they went and found uh, the bonds or whatever that had matured and it had come to exactly to the cent what they needed to get in. And you can say, oh, well, come on. But then I'm going to look back at you and say, yeah, but come on. Right. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty good. And there are a lot of things like that uh, that we encounter. Let's go on to the next clip and let's hear what he has to say. And if it's ultimately God's will, what happens? Why even bother praying? God's will. Oh, by the way, I put up here, Derek Allen asks, pray for an amputee to grow a new limb and let's see how well you do, Christians. Uh, We're going to get to that Mm -hmm. in just a few minutes because that's one of the questions that he raises. So we will come back to that. uh, But I wanted to uh, go ahead and and put it out there. Uh, But, you know, the thing about it is uh, when we when we talk about praying, this is what we put on the thumbnail. uh, God's will. Can you change God's will with your prayers? This makes a huge assumption, and I never understand this. This makes the huge assumption that, oh, by the way, they're mowing outside my house, so if you hear that, I'm sorry. I'm usually 13 stories up in a building where I don't have to hear that kind of stuff. But um, but uh, when you— Hey, we had, to, we had to relocate our entire show to my office for a few months because no matter how high up you are— uh, the construction, you could still hear it. So our office isn't always a surefire thing, but yeah. So, uh, but, um, when, but, uh, what am I saying? Yeah. So this assumes the, the assumption that's made here is the, is that there's only one way God only has one path to get to whatever goal he's trying to get to. That is to say, and it's going to get really loud because I can actually see the shadow of the yard man going outside my window. These are the kind of things that would be edited oh, out in a uh, recorded video. But the thing about it is the, the, the path to get to God's ultimate goal, there may be multiple ways of getting there. And you might say, yeah, but isn't God bound by his nature to always and only do the best optimal thing? We talked about that on an episode with Leighton Flowers a while back, so you can go back and look at that if you want to. But I think it was in response to Vice Rhino. But here's the thing. Um, how do you know that it's not the best thing for God to answer somebody's prayers instead of doing it without answering that prayer? So th- if there was only one path to getting to whatever goal God's got, then, okay, you might have something there. But the fact is we believe that there are multiple paths that God could take to get to his ultimate goals. And so that we might pray for something. And then God uh, takes that path to answer our prayers. 
What's the problem there, Jonathan? What say you? Well, there's different ways that you can actually hash that out because um, our Reformed friends would obviously first go to the fact that that prayer changes you. It doesn't change God. You know, uh, there's that answer. Uh, there's the answer that for, for, for people like us, on the other hand, while we also agree that cha- uh, prayer does change us because as you are going through the spiritual disciplines, one of which is prayer— you do become uh, more and more uh, along the path of sanctification and being like Jesus, who also prayed. Uh, so, uh, but in addition to that, what we, what I understand is, just because God has a will for something, that that will also includes my prayers. So, similarly to how the Reformed people would answer with, you know, God ordains the means as well as the ends. Well, we all believe that God ordains means. Prayer is one of the means, and just because God has a will and God foreknows what I'm going to say. Uh, from our perspective, he actualized a world in which we freely chose to say those prayers, and he freely chooses to respond how he chooses. Uh, so it, there, there's still the possibility that you could have chosen not to pray. That world had been actualized, and of course there's no effect because there's no prayer. So there's many different ways that you can make that work, but none of it leads to the conclusion that, well, whatever God's will will happen. So why bother? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and move on because honestly, some of these questions, it's going to get repetitive. If you have cancer right now, what's going to help you more drugs or prayer? Uh, by the way, we got a super chat from Kevin Kevlar Henderson, Kevlar provisionist Woo-hoo! theology. We love him. He is one of our students at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. He can testify to the quality of the programs, and we can testify to the quality of Kevlar provisionist theology. So thank you, uh, Kevlar. We really, really, really appreciate that. And um, if you were using an alias there, I'm sorry that I just outed you. It's time that you're going to get burnt. Um, so, uh, what was the, what now? No, everyone, everyone knows that Kevin Henderson is is Kevlar. I mean, uh, and by the way, you want to talk about ministry. This is a guy who battle raps, uh, and shares the gospel battle battle rapping. Yeah. So while he's getting cussed out and dissed, he responds with the gospel and some disses back. Uh, I do that too, but I just don't do it while rapping. Yeah, and he doesn't do it with the same kind of colorful language that others do, but he still he does take in a, a few well-placed shots in his evangelism, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah. All right, um, let's, uh, let's hear that again because I forgot now what it was. If you have cancer right now, what's going to help you more, drugs or prayer? What's going to help me more, drugs or prayer? Uh I mean, <laughs> yes. why can't I do answer, both? Yes. Why can't I do both? I never understand that. We addressed this question on the last episode because he asked it in a different way. Like, would you take your kid to the hospital or would you pray for God to heal them if they had a fatal injury or whatever? And it's like, um, it's like, which one do you think is going to be more effective? I think they're both effective. What, what, the, what, what, what's going on there? Yeah, well, what's going on with uh, titling it 78 questions? If there's not 78 questions, there's fewer than that reworded in many different ways to amount to the same question. That's that's another that's a question I have that I'd like to have yeah. answered. But you do you do we'll both. set that aside. You do both. God yeah. is ultimately in control. What's more effective? Well, it 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 may be that uh, 
if God chooses to answer my prayer, that's going to be way more effective because he could supernaturally heal me. But if he chooses to heal me through the medicines of some doctor, well, then, uh, the, you know, both were effective. I, I don't, it's like, it's a category error, I think. Uh, these are different yeah. different realms. All right, let's move on to the next. Th- or do you have yeah, and they say? help it, and there's help in different ways. Okay, so, you know, helping uh, with somebody, praying for someone who has cancer, praying with someone who has cancer, um, doesn't. it's not merely treating the cancer, but the person with it, and it may bring a measure of peace to them. Look, uh, we discussed this in our last conversation. You discussed this in your fantastic uh, video response to, um, was it Rationality Rules? Uh, the guy who sounds like Sean Connery, great, great uh, voice, by the way. He has a great voice. Yeah. Um, but, it, but his understanding of the Bible is ridiculous. Uh, but I do like his haircut, though. Much that's an improvement. But um, the this 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 idea that you know if somebody dies, something has gone wrong. No, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. We are all going to die at some point. Um, now. Uh, maybe uh, with the exception of those who are there at the eschaton or whatever, I mean, but generally speaking, everyone's going to die at some point. So if something results in death, you know, what has gone wrong is humanity's disobedience to God, not a prayer that was ignored, right? Yeah. Um, death is a reality that we all have to face as a consequence of the fall in the garden. So, I mean, you know, when my dad had cancer and died from cancer, we didn't stop praying. And we didn't think that we weren't doing anything important when we were praying because he wasn't getting better. Okay. Um, And and my dad, you know, he was, you need to see what God's up to. Uh, You know, uh, God, y'all are asking God to miraculously heal my prayer, even though I smoked three packs a day for 40 some odd years, you know, I mean, he's like, I should have expected this, you know? So it's, you know, it's not like my dad was lacking in faith because he was like, Oh God can't do it. My dad was like, I hope he heals someone else. You know I mean? He's like, I'm going to go be with Jesus now. Yeah. And my, my, my dad took that whole thing. If he went through all the four stages or whatever, he hit it well, because uh, it seemed like all acceptance from day one, uh, but this is kind of Manny. You know, they don't build men like that uh, very often. Um, but but anymore. But, you know, it's just uh, I prayed um, and we took him to the doctor. It was a both and thing. And eventually he succumbed to the cancer and um, it really stunk. I, I was not happy. I was. Yes, I went through that. I was kind of upset with God because I wanted God to either miraculously heal him or heal him through medicines or, or whatever else. But that wasn't the only thing I felt, right? I mean, it wasn't the only thing that I experienced. So it's not like Christians don't also under, uh, you know, fail to grasp the short end of that stick in a manner of speaking, because there are things that I am aware of and things that I am not aware of that affected good in the cosmos because of my dad's death. Yeah. You know, and and even uh, 11 years or going on 10 years later, I still can pick up um, – and hear certain things about what my dad's life meant to somebody and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it's, it's for me, it's, you know, it's a bittersweet thing, 
but it's not as if I thought all that praying I did was for nothing because my dad didn't beat his cancer. And so we understand both sides of that thing. So if, so to say, which do I think did more? I don't know. And neither yeah. does the man who is asking this question. Well, and, that, and that's the point that I want to drive home as we move on to the next question. And that is that uh, what we're doing here, and I mentioned this on the last episode, which is that people will say, someone said after the last discussion you and I did, Jonathan, they said, well, you're talking about all that theology and stuff. That, that Those aren't arguments that God exists. And we're like, yeah, because what what's going on here is not us offering you an argument to try and show that atheism is false or Christianity is true. What's happening here is we have an atheist challenging Christianity and saying that Christianity has problems because X, Y, and Z, um, even if he's framing them all as questions. We know that's what's going on. He's he's an atheist advocate. He's challenging Christianity, indicating these are problems you got to deal with, and so we're responding. Here's how we deal with them. It's not that we're offering you here an argument. We've got lots of that all over the channel, but that's not what's going on here. So when we see something like uh, the situation with the amputees or with Jonathan's dad or whatever we're talking about, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, how would Christianity make sense of that? Is there a contradiction? No, there is not. So your case that it must be that Christianity is false or something or is probably false or likely false or implausible fails fabulously because because we it's, there's nothing contradictory there. And there is actually a plausible explanation like the one you just gave. Susan Morales says, God provides doctors and wisdoms to diagnose and treat you correctly. Doctors can fail uh, people often. Yeah, so this... Um, this uh, this is a true. This is what we've been saying. And I'll, but I wanted to also say, uh, Susan has her own YouTube channel. We need more women in apologetics, and she's interested in apologetics. Amen. And uh, she was the subject of one uh, Oak Creek um, Cedar Creek Pine Creek. Uh, he she was on Pine Creek recently, and or she was my biggest on it. fan. She was the subject of it. Unless I've got that wrong, Susan, you can tell me if I'm thinking of someone else, but I think I'm thinking of you. All right, let's move on to question yeah, 13. Yeah, well, well welcome, oh, to the welcome to the club, Susan. We've got jackets waiting for you because um, we've also been the subject of Pine Creek. He's, he's, I hope that you rise to the level of his fascination that I have. That's that's. Oh, also, um, but to her point, actually... Um, Yes, doctors can fail often. In fact, uh, my father-in-law, who's also dealing with cancer right now, his his previous doctor um, failed spectacularly. So we've been praying that his now current doctor, who finally decided to get him checked out and diagnosed for cancer after he was told, no, 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 don't worry about that growth on, on your face for three years by his previous doctor. Um, we're praying for the competency of his current doctors uh, dealing with his cancer. And yeah, doctors do fail. So we're also kind of praying that if um, if he decides to take the previous doctor to court, uh, you know, uh, that that is settled amicably because I don't I don't know that he's going to. But um, but uh, I, I'm kind of thinking I would. <laughs> but he, but, you know, that's just the kind of fellow I am. Yeah, she says, yeah, it was her that, that I'm thinking of the right person. All right, uh, let's move yep. on. I think it's question 13. Let's say you had an amputated limb. Would prayer ever bring it back? Uh, prayer would not bring it back because, again, prayer is not a superpower. Uh, God might bring right. it back if you pray to God and he chooses to answer that question. 
Um, but this comes up a lot, which is, uh, you know, and, and well, let's just go ahead and hear the next question because it's similar. If you've heard stories about an amputated limb ever growing back, how come there's never a camera around when any? How come there are no cameras around when any miracles happen? Um, the thing, well, you you can jump at this one first if you want, Jonathan. All right. You know how many amputees' uh, healings are recorded in the Bible, Braxton? How many? Do you know? I zero. No, wrong. One. One in the Garden of Gethsemane, ear removes the ear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Inter yeah, oh. yeah. And uh, so amputees aren't getting healed all over the place, right? Uh, even in the Bible. Um, so when you look for patterns in Scripture, you look for um, you you look to you know temper your expectations of of the miraculous by Scripture. So I'm not surprised that we don't see amputees being uh, re regrowing limbs all over the place. Yeah, you Having look to the that, what you're saying is you look to the Bible to see uh, how does it seem like God operates, and if that's something you don't see God doing, uh, generally speaking, and as we all know, a good principle of hermeneutics, which is something I'm, I, I tried to say on the Rationality Rules episode I did last, which is good hermeneutics is really important when you're going to try to understand something from a different culture in a different time and all that. One thing that you don't even have to understand cultural stuff to understand is um, you shouldn't ever build an entire theology or doctrine off of one verse. You, it's it's best you may have to sometimes, but it's best if you have multiple verses to uh, cross reference and see exactly is this the way I understand it. And when you have one example of of Jesus healing an ear that Peter uh, cut off the guy's you know, head, then, then, uh, then it might not be good to say in general, we should be seeing amputees getting healed all over the place when we only have an, uh, an example of one. And by the way, the one that we have, no, was the one that we have was a guy whose ear got cut off and the ear was there. We have plenty of cases all over the world of people having appendages cut off and they get reattached by medical doctors in real time. So, uh, so yeah, yeah I'm not sure about, about that. So yeah, I, I, I don't I, I hear this often. I think there was like a web page in the early 2000s that was uh, popular for a while about God. Why doesn't God heal amputees or something like that? I don't know that it's still around. Uh, but, I, you know, uh, that would be awesome. But the question is, um, I don't know that it's never happened either, though. I can't say. Uh, precisely because there's not a camera at every instance of a miracle. I think there probably is video footage of some miracles somewhere in the age of smartphones and the fact that miracles still happen. Um, I, I'm sure. Well, wait, 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 hold on. we actually have an example. We actually have an example on this channel. It's not video footage, but it's, but it's not the sort of miracle that would require video footage. We have the example of the, of the guy who lost his voice and went to a symposium of, uh, uh, doctors, uh, you know, uh, esophageal uh, surgeons and people like that. And everyone said, you're never going to, you're never going to speak above a whisper again. You're done. I'm sorry. There's absolutely zero hope. And uh, a few years later, like sometime later, I think it was like three years later uh, in a Bible study where he was bet, they begged him and asked him to come and speak at the Sunday school class at this church. And they got a special microphone so they could hear his whisper audibly. And he's talking about miracles and he's talking about his throat and he's talking about miracles and he's reading scripture about miracles and you can hear it. The, the audio is there available. You go to the, our episode on miracles. We have two or three, but the first one we did, the one with Lee Strobel on the front. And what you get is you hear him miraculously 
uh, having an incre- a perfectly clear voice all at once, and he is absolutely blown away by this. The, the, the Sunday school class starts shouting and cheering. He starts crying and, and continues to pray. It's amazing, and I've had probably more than any other video we've ever done, I've had people talk about how they were touched and re-listened to that segment over and over and over again and cried and all kinds of things because, yeah, it is a recording of a miracle. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I, I've seen plenty of fake miraculous video healings, right? I've seen, I've seen that, but I don't know that there's... I don't know that there are no video evidence anywhere in the existence of planet Earth that there are no miracles. I can't make that claim. I don't know. Um, but I also know that people will also make the complaint um, that, oh, isn't it convenient that the Red Sea parted and that Jesus rose from the dead and Paul rose people from the dead and, uh, you know, all these healings and withered hands becoming whole again and all. Isn't it convenient that God... Uh, did all of those things in the day before the video camera. Well, interestingly enough, isn't it odd that that complaint could only exist in the age of video cameras because nobody was making that complaint prior to the age of video cameras. And now that we have the age of video cameras, people will just say, like I've heard people say about the audio recording, that ah, that's fake. Right. Anything you could give them, they can just claim that was that was bunk or that was trickery or that was, uh, you know, digitally manipulated video or something. So look, it's, it's just like I was talking about when I, or actually David was talking about when I was on David Wood's channel the other day, which is, um, if you set your epistemology such that you're not going to allow for the supernatural, you can find a way to question any supposed miracle, um, that's out there. I've, I, we've put stuff on this channel like that and people have, have ditched it. So, um, I'm not impressed yeah, with such I'm, claims. And the the unfalsifiable epistemology of selection, right? So uh, until they run into a problem, they start being a you know they, they evoke a skepticism that they never had before, because you can't live your life being that big of a skeptic all of a sudden because you have uh, an uncomfortable moment with the argument that smacks you in the face. So yeah, it, that that whole uh, that whole thing, I I found that that portion of uh, y'all's dialogue yeah. very interesting yeah now now i will say there there is a youtuber out there i think who has responded to videos like this about uh god healing amputees and i think she's a christian and she is an amputee and so i want to say that obviously when we're when we're responding about this we don't want it to come off cold and callous if you're an individual who is an amputee and has prayed to be healed of that and that hasn't happened for you we, the two of us, cannot imagine what that's like, the, the suffering that you've experienced, the psychological difficulty with that. And we admire how you have uh, continued to function uh, in spite of something like that and, and, and all those sorts of things. So there's nothing about this that we're not addressing the emotional impact of this. Uh, and we want to be careful and soft in our language there. But in terms of the right. intellectual criticism, if we said nothing else, we could say this. You know what it would prove if there was no, never any video footage of any miracles happening? It would prove there was no video footage of any miracles happening. It wouldn't prove that miracles don't happen or that they're impossible or anything like that. Because remember, we're not offering you right now miracles as a proof of Christianity. I do have a video on that. I have three videos on that. What we're offering you is an answer to the question that you asked, and there is no contradiction in the claims uh, that we've just mentioned. So let's uh, go ahead and move on. How come there are no cameras around when any? Whoops, if you had an exam coming up, what do you think would help you earn a higher score? Prayer or studying for the test? What do you think, Jonathan? It's just more of the same. It's the same question. It is the same again. question put in a different context, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I actually think, um, I think prayer helps more. I'll answer this one differently. Prayer helps more. And prayer helps more than studying. Well, says the, let me tell you says why. the dean of academics at Trinity College and Seminary. Okay, that's a demotion. I, I thought I was vice president, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get I get demoted right on the air. It's because wow. you, um, you. It depends on how you answer this question. Okay. Well, prayer is a discipline. Discipline is something that I find sorely lacking in most human beings. So the more often you pray, the more often you become disciplined to do things that are disciplines. Studying is also a discipline. So unless you become disciplined enough to study, you might need to pray so that you can become disciplined enough to study. So prayer, yeah. Because you can, you can pray. We teach our kids to pray long before they ever have to start studying in school, at least Christian parents like I do. So I hope that instilling spiritual disciplines translates into being practically disciplined in all other areas of life. So therefore, I want to say that prayer um, would probably help more over time. Plus, you can pray to um, ask God to help bring to your attention all of the things that you do study when you do study and ask God to sharpen your mind and make you more alert and aware and better prepared. So overall, I think prayer could actually end up being more important than studying because prayer can actually lead to God benefiting you while you study and also while you take the exam. Bam. Mic drop. All right. You get to keep your job. Did it. Um, it, yeah, at least, at least I did good enough, uh, sophistry there to keep it. Brand, keep Brando, Brando says I had horrible cramps for 13 years from Crohn's disease. God took those cramps for me over one night. I still have the disease. I just don't have any more bad cramps. My GI said that's very rare. So, um, a situation like that, of course, we know that the skeptics who are committed to atheist naturalism are going to say, well, yeah, but that stuff just happens, man. Sometimes stuff just heals itself. Sometimes just. And yeah, that's true. But it's also true on our position that God heals people. So. No, it's yeah. Well, I, that's not entirely true. That's only true for people who make a phony post enlightenment distinction between the natural and supernatural, because we've talked about this many times. Uh, yeah, there there might very well be a naturalistic explanation, just like there's naturalistic explanations why the ground opens up and swallows people at Cora. The timing of it. Yeah. Right. The timing of it that it just so happened that God was dealing with a rebellion and punishing people, um, again, maybe that's a coincidence. But if you were one of the people who witnessed the event or uh, whatever, I don't think that you're going to think that. Absolutely. Are looking back on. And there are right, many, so, many so, examples of that. And you have these progressive theologians that will try. I've even heard this done with uh, the one I always go back to is because I actually heard someone talk about this where. Uh, the, the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River, and just as the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant put their feet in the water of the Jordan, the river stopped. And someone says, well, yeah, but now we need to remember when we look at something like this that it's not necessarily that something supernatural happened because uh, the Jordan River is prone to mudslides uh, that dam up the river. And so that easily could have been what happened. And it's like, yeah, fine. That may well be what happened at exactly the moment that the children of Israel are entering the promised land, a monumental 40 years in the making longer than that. Actually, if you take all of biblical history, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like uh, yeah. no, that's this is, that the theater of it, the religiously informed theater and timing. 
Yeah, that's why I, I don't like definitions of miracles as being some violation of the natural order of things, uh, because God can work within and through the natural order of things to bring about a miracle, depending on time. So it, it, not all miracles need to be violations uh, of, of nature. Some of them are just super uh, imposed feats upon nature. Uh, you know, so if you think about the way medicine treats an illness, okay, um, the, 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 the medicine goes to work against like a virus or, or, or whatever or some bacteria or infection that's going on in your body, right? Uh, those that's a naturalistic explanation well whatever medicines quote unquote uh, that treat that because you took the medicine god can do the same antibodies or whatever else that's going to treat your virus uh using natural means without a, having access to the medicine because god can do any number of things any number of ways it's not, or it's, can, not, it's not a violation it's an intervention a violation would mean right. like the natural world isn't God's, and he's and he's violating something. It's his world. He intervenes, and often he uses. I mean, uses what could be traceable natural means to accomplish something. It doesn't mean it's not an intervention by God. Right. Um, all right. Let's move on. Question seventeen. If you prayed for me over YouTube right now, do you think I would know it somehow? The answer is no. That's that's a dumb question. Yeah. Sorry. If somebody, yeah. That's what like is that supposed to prove? Is that a claim Christians yeah. make that if I'm praying for you, you're definitely going to feel it? What does it mean to feel it? What sort of an experience are you referencing? I don't know, but I mean, Braxton Hunter, does your nose itch when I'm trashing you behind your back? Yes, and you better watch it. <laughs> oh, then, then the answer is yes. You have to change your answer. Or are you, you going to lose your title, Mr. President? Because, uh, you know, but that's the same kind of question. You know, it's, uh, you know, you have no idea when I'm crashing you behind your back. When your nose itches, it's probably because you haven't trimmed your nose. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's it, that's a that's a dumb question. I, I don't know. Um, I let me try to be fair. I, I'm too mean too, too much. Let me try to be fair, okay? I suppose that it's possible that you may not know that somebody is praying for you, but you may recognize that you have been prayed for or that something is happening that causes God's Spirit to calm, uh, calm you and give you inner peace. You may think that, wow, I did recall asking people to pray for me. Maybe they're doing that right now, or maybe now is the time that God is answering my prayer. So there may be some sense in which you may know that people uh, are keeping you in their prayers um, if you believe in that sort of thing, right? Yeah, so I, that's, I, as I, that, that, that's as fair as I can be to this question. Yeah, no, don't. Stupid. We've spent too much time on that question. If so, if it's something that Christianity doesn't even claim and wouldn't expect, I mean, is it possible that someone could that that could happen? I guess I don't see any contradiction in it. Uh, it doesn't seem to violate any doctrinal issues in the Bible. I just don't see any reason to think we should expect necessarily that so all right next, next what matters to god more the quantity of prayers or the quality of the prayers if it's the quantity that matters how come the most popular team doesn't always win the super bowl and if it's the quality that matters how come people we really love people who are close to us how come they died no matter what we say to god 
Um, well, it, it, uh, if I had to pick, I guess I would say qu uh, quality. Um, but again, this is using prayer as a superpower, right? It's the idea that yeah. if I if I if I pray for this sports team and I get enough people to pray for the sports team, then it's going to make it's going to make that team win, or it's going to make God make that team win. Uh, God may not even like the team that you you're going for, you know, <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, uh, that's, that's even the quality. I mean, well, the quality, what do we, how do we, that's kind of a subjective thing. Um, you know, the, the quality of a prayer seems more important to me. If we take the biblical, uh, declarations about prayer, you should pray in the name of Jesus, which doesn't mean adding Jesus at the end of your prayer. And it becomes like a magic genie in a bottle type thing. It means praying in line with what your patron, what the person whose name you're invoking, you pray in line with what his will would be, what he would want, things that seem to be in line with what he wants. You also pray without just a desire for selfish gain. Uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So um, if you're a man or a woman, I, I think, if you're a man or a woman who is uh, righteous before the Lord, there's a better chance for your prayers getting answered. So all of that would speak to quality, I think. So ultimately, I'd have to say, quality is probably the most important thing. I will say the Bible says that prayer, that we should pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean that like when you're in a state of sleep unconscious, that you, that you should somehow train yourself to be praying while you're asleep or something. What it means I think is that we should try to, as best we can continually uh, be prayerful about matters. Um, at the same time, uh, you shouldn't rely too much on the quantity and think that's some sort of a superstitious uh, rabbit's foot that's going to help you because the fact is that, um, you know, the one prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Bible, uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer, is the one thing he taught them to pray. You can pray that prayer in 30 seconds. I've always thought of this whenever I hear people say, you know, the average pastor prays less than three minutes a day. And I think, yeah, well, what's the quality of that prayer? Do you know those prayers? Do you know those pastors? I mean, I think a pastor should probably be praying more than that. But the one thing Jesus taught people how to pray, you can pray that prayer in 30 seconds. So uh, it's interesting, interesting idea. Uh, but I don't know why both can't be important. There are passages that seem to speak to both. What say you? The same. The, the, and and I, I don't know... Um, I, I understand the meticulous providence people um, are probably thinking that, yeah, God really does care who, who wins sports games. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I think about that. Um, things can happen as a result of a sporting event, just like things can happen as a result of eating at one restaurant as opposed to another. So I'm not opposed to, you know, uh, divine appointments is what those of us who don't hold the meticulous providence call it, right? Um, but I don't, it's same thing with the problem of evil. I have no idea the long view of God about why certain things are allowed or made to happen and other things aren't. So when a team wins a Super Bowl and the other team doesn't, but people were praying, um, you know, I, I, I also think, well, that goes back to the quality versus quantity thing. Our quality, uh, the quality of our prayers for sporting events should not be some team gets to gloat at the end, but rather that people uh, perform fairly and safely and are not injured, right? I mean, so praying for people to win sports events, I, I don't know. Um, unless, because I lack the perspective that God has to what somebody losing, how that impacts their 
any sort of, uh, you know, butterfly effect in the world for God's purposes. So I don't know. I don't typically pray that this team wins over that anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dr. Guido, 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 I don't know. I would say God doesn't care about the games or sports, but he definitely cares about the people in sports. And that actually changes how you yeah. pray. Um, what was the guy's name that got into some trouble, but he was uh, John, uh, he was a comedian, Christian comedian. Christ. Um, John, yeah, John Christ. Christ or, yeah. Anyway, he um, he had this great one where he would say, when people come up to you, after the church service and they say, well, you pray for X, you know, sometimes those are very important, but like he said, one time I got this one, it was like, well, you pray for my son that he wins his karate tournament. And he said, as I started to pray, I thought to myself, what am I praying here? I'm praying that some other kid gets clocked in the face. Is that what, is that what I'm praying for? You know? So how, you know, if you understand that prayer, um, that God cares about the players, uh, more than he does the game, probably, then what you're saying is, what you're understanding is, that'll change the way you pray, right? So anyway, yeah. uh, let's move on from this. What do you say? Agreed. Uh, you pray for the safety, not for the victories. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's a quality Is it issue. possible that your prayers have no supernatural effect and only serve to make you feel better? And if that were true, would you ever admit it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that, well, first of all, they don't. Have you been paying attention throughout this stream? They don't. Your prayers themselves don't have a supernatural effect in terms of what you're praying for. They're making your petitions known to God, and then he can bring a supernatural effect. Although I know you object to the use of the term supernatural. Right. You, you, understand, you, you understand what I'm saying. So yeah. you, you're, you pray, you pray, and then God can do what God wants to do. So that's a simple right. answer. But if I found out that... that, that like if I found out that what some Christians think is true, that God's doing what he's going to do. And if I do pray for whatever to happen is only because I was determined to pray that that would happen or whatever. Um, I would just be like, yeah, okay, I guess. I mean, I guess that's the way it is. And yeah, I'd admit it. In fact, I think yeah. I'd admit it more than some other people admit it. <laughs> yeah, I admit it. I, yeah, I was like, uh, you know, would you admit it if your prayer? Yeah. Our super, our prayers don't have supernatural powers. And can I admit that? Yeah. Uh, we already have been admitting that. Yeah. I don't, and if anybody thumbs, there's one thumbs down on this video. And if anybody, right, cause we're Christian. if anybody thumbs down to me, who was a Christian who thought I was saying that prayer doesn't is, you know, that God doesn't use the prayer or that prayer isn't effectual. That's not what I'm saying. I'm making a fine nuanced point that God's the one who accomplishes whatever it is we're praying for, that we're not again, using a superpower to pray that, you know, the Browns win or something. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you know one sports team's name. Yeah, well, yeah. And I know the Tennessee Titans, too. So Yeah. What what city are the Browns in? Why are you asking me that on a live stream? You know I can't answer questions like that. Ask me something we about U2 or rock and roll music. I can answer okay. those questions better. All right, let's move on. Is it possible that your prayers have no supernatural effect? Is there anything in your life right now that makes you doubt God's existence? Um, not me. No, not, not, they said anything right now. No, no. Yeah. I don't I, think about it is I'm being honest. Are there things that I understand why they give people doubts? Yes. Are there things that have raised doubts in my mind in the past? Yes. But two things about that. Number one, immediately the force of all the arguments quelch those things. In fact, I have experienced, this may come as a shock to some of you, and I'm not saying I've experienced suffering on the level that some of you have, 
but uh, I have experienced a pretty dramatic type of suffering in my life. You say, what is that, Braxton? Ain't none of your business what it is. Uh, but I have experienced that in my life. And you know what? Um, uh, I never once, and I don't begrudge people. I understand why people have this response. And I understand that most Christians do, okay? So I'm not I'm not trying to sound more spiritual than you. I've got my own issues. This just isn't one of them. But um, I personally didn't have that anger with God over the thing that happened. And the reason for that is I just... And this is why I think it's good to have good apologetics and good answers to the problem of evil and all that in your head in a cool moment so that when you come to those things, you already understand it. But I just didn't have any of that. I understood the answers to it. And in terms of something, but let's say something like that did cause me doubt the or the mockery of some atheist, which does seem to cause people doubt. Um, immediately, the force of any one of the popular theistic arguments, any of them, they're all so powerful. For me, everyone knows the Kalam cosmological argument, I think, is as close to a slam dunk, if not a slam dunk, for God's existence. If you understand that, and I know this is offensive, and I know that not everybody's there yet, but, and I'm going to say this loud enough that the lawnmower outside my window that the guy can hear it, but if you understand that argument, if you understand that argument, I don't know why you're an atheist anymore, and I think we have a darn good case for the resurrection. So, those things are cold away pretty easily for me. If I did have a doubt, would I admit it? Yes, yes, yes. And I think that people should admit it. And I think people should talk about it because the data shows that people who talk about it with a close-knit community of faith get the answers that they need uh, that are plausible, and then they actually grow in their faith. If they don't have that close network and they don't make those doubts known, they tend to drift away. So that is my answer what say you, Mr. Vice President of Academic Affairs? Oh, well, uh, first I want to say to all the new people that, uh, or recent listeners um, to, to the show, recent new listeners or, or, or brand new listeners, that we have a back catalog on our channel that I want to invite you to go because I've actually talked about this issue of doubt uh, with respect to my own personal life at length. Uh, and I've done it quite recently, I think, about, you know, uh, my my couple times a year i'm an atheist uh speech right i've given that several times talked about doubts or whatever uh but i'm a answering the question that's asked do i have any doubts right now no uh but here here here's what i want to say about that whole issue of doubts i am not a fan of either uh championing doubt in the christian community as some virtue um nor am i a fan of Christians crumbling under the weight of doubt, like overreacting to doubts. Uh, both of those extremes drive me nuts. So that's all I want to say about that issue. Yeah, we have a question or a statement here from, I guess, an atheist. I understand it, uh, speaking about the Kalam, and I'm still an atheist. It's a whole lot of, I don't know, so God. And then he also says, argument from ignorance is not convincing. Here's the thing about this, and I want to be really uh, cautious with this because I'm talking to an individual right now. Um, I don't want to come off as though I'm being condescending or anything like that. You're a real person, and I appreciate that you've taken the time to listen to our thoughts on these things. What I would say is it's simply not an argument from ignorance. I know a lot of people say that, but that's not even up for debate. That's just wrong. It's not an argument from ignorance. It's not, I don't know, so God. It is positive reasons to land at the conclusions we land at. 
So there are criticisms of the Kalam that I enjoy talking about that I think are relevant, uh, but that's not a good one. And I encourage you to go check out my stream with David Wood or my stream with Mike Winger or listen to my debate with Matt Dillahunty or listen to my discussion with Will the Atheist. Um, and I think uh, if you have an open mind, you'll see that it's simply not arguing from ignorance. That's not really even up for debate. I know it's all over YouTube atheism, but it's just not. All right, uh, let's move on to the next thing. And uh, I don't even know where exactly where I was. Here we go. Is there anything in your life right now that makes you doubt God's existence? If you did doubt God's existence, was Jesus white? Why does it seem God is more likely to help someone who's a talented athlete over a starving child? Whoops, I cut it off early. Why, why does it seem like God would help a starving athlete more than a starving child? A starving athlete. Why, why, why does it seem like God would help an athlete more than a starving child? Uh, I don't know that it seems that way. Yeah, what's that about? I, I, we're, what, that there's an underlying assumption that, oh, athletes are wealthy, starving children are not, so that means God has given uh, extra special care to the wealthier person than the, uh, no, you know how many wealthy people hate God? You know, so, so the, the underlying assumption is wrong. And oh, by the way, demonstrates he's never actually read the Bible at all. Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't buy the underlying assumption, which makes the question stupid. So when you, when, when you reject the premise of the question, the question itself is not on the table. We want everyone on the stream to feel free to ask questions and we will not consider them stupid. But Jonathan, are there stupid questions? Yeah. And by we, he means, he means him. Uh, cause you know, I, I was sitting there listening to you talk to the, the person who did ask or, or made the accusation about argument from ignorance and saying the Kalam is just, I don't know, but God, uh, actually, you know, I, I teach the logic class at Trinity and so argument from ignorance has a specific definition. The Kalam is a deductive argument that has two premises and a conclusion. It's not, I don't know, I don't know. This. So uh, I know you wanted to be nice, but I'm not nice to my students, so I don't see why I should be nice to anybody in our YouTube audience. Go ahead. Next question. And I'm probably, I forget which question we're on, so we may have heard this one before. Why does God seem to hate Africa? God doesn't hate Africa. He doesn't even seem to hate Africa, but it seems like Africa is undergoing an explosive revival, bringing it back to its roots, uh, because a lot of uh, patristic uh, fathers who forged the very doctrines that we uh, continue to affirm this to this day were Africans. So I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, not only does God not... To me, it doesn't seem like God doesn't like Africa. It seems that God really loves Africa and that Africa is really in love with God back and has been for 2,000 years. You know, there was a, there's a debate. Um, if uh, oh, Michael Jackson is not here, but there's a debate about, you know, uh, try, uh, recent debate. Um, uh, I think Adam Coleman's channel hosted it. Um, it was a debate on, you know, is, is, is Christianity the white man's religion and all this? 
And the guy who took the affirmative that, yeah, it, it is it got thoroughly hammered and trashed and embarrassed. It wasn't even close uh, by actual church uh, history and scholarship from the, the person who uh, said, uh, no, it's not a white man's religion. So um, if this person, uh, what, what is his name, the friendly atheist, knew anything about how reality and history works, uh, he wouldn't have the underlying assumption um, that God seems to not like Africa. Well, Jonathan, uh, Jehu Nimshi likes you uh, and posted so much. Uh, but um, it's always funny to me when people say things like God hates Africa or God hates uh, certain countries or third world or whatever, because we've had people in our chat. Uh, one particular person who lives in Africa, Jared Nell, I think says, uh, has said in a in a chat before or in a comment stream, someone says, uh, yeah, we'll tell that to people in Africa. He's like, I live in Africa. People here love God. All right, next question. You know, if a group of people from, say, Africa came to your community with the intent to convert you to their tribal faith, would you listen to them and take them seriously? Or would you just dismiss? Would you just keep yeah, going believing possible. what you want to believe? Uh, it's very possible that the tribal faith that they're bringing to me is Christianity. Yeah, that's true. Uh, another thing is, yeah, it's because the assumption here is that Christians are not aware of major world religions. We are. Now, I'm not saying that every Christian or even most Christians are like, you know, you know, scholars in this area or have really like read through the Quran and all these things uh, uh, and, and the Upanishads and all these kind of things. But th but the fact is, we, uh, you know, Christians are generally aware that there are these other religions out there and Christian thinkers and people that are watching Christian apologetics channels who might stumble upon the friendly atheist channel are aware and have discussed these things or thought about these things. And um, Christianity certainly takes Islam seriously and listens to its claims. I have taken all the major world religions seriously and listened to their claims. I know you have, and even some cults, even some weird cults. So I, if there are people, and I, well, that's there are definitely people that match what he's describing here or implying here that that don't that don't have a clue and don't even and would ignore. Like there are certain, like I think my grandma would probably not take too seriously the claims of uh, some African tribes person uh, explaining their faith. But I think you should listen to what they're saying and listen and see if it makes any logical sense. Um, but ultimately we've done that and we found them all wanting. Yeah. Um, we're actually making some good headway now. We've gone a little but, over but, now, but, but I'm happy for them to share it with me. I'm, I'm not a jerk, you know, and then as long as they're not being hostile towards me, I won't be hostile towards them and have a conversation about religion. What's the big deal? Of course, of course I would. So I don't have a problem with it. Come on over. It's an opportunity for me to share mine back right? if they're not Christians, which which is becoming less the case all the time because of revivals breaking out everywhere in Africa. But, so. yep. It's a big all continent, right. but Next question. lots of people. If a group of people from, say, Africa, does God speak to you personally? If God spoke to you and told you to kill your child, would you do it? Is... Twofold. Number one, that is not God. That's like saying if a flippity flop is a gumagalob, would you, uh, whatever. I mean, that, that it's nonsense language. 
God wouldn't ask me to kill my child. Now, everyone is immediately thinking of Abraham and Isaac, but it's clear. Right, not what happened? What? Yeah, what, what happened in that story? Right. God prevented it. Uh, which, yeah. by the way, if again, if you take cultural backgrounds and uh, stuff stuff like that into consideration, what you realize is the other gods which are roundabout were were child sacrificing, you know, sort of uh, gods. They wanted children to be sacrificed, passed through the fires, is the language used. Um, and that that story is a strong statement in its cultural setting that Yahweh is not like that. So it, it blows my mind. Th this is like one of the dead giveaways that people don't understand hermeneutics or whatever. Um, but when when the whole story indicates that God is not like those other gods who want their children sacrificed, and then people today take that story to demonstrate that God does like that. I I mean, you know, it's it's I'm getting a little snarky here, and I I don't mean to be sassy, but um, the reality is it's reading comprehension. I think that's the problem. Yeah, and the further thing, there is a difference between God giving a national—I've said this in the past, but it's, I'm going to say it again. There's a difference between God giving a nation, like Israel, orders to go you know, to war with another nation or something like that, and God telling an individual to murder another individual, which we don't find that. What we do find is God telling— ordering nations to war, but that's a different thing than on a personal level. You go kill him, right? Right, and if it were the case, like, let's just go ahead and, and uh, because, you know, we should be able to entertain hypotheticals, even if the hypotheticals are, uh, you know, make no sense and don't reflect what God is really like. I'm still going to answer it. If If I knew it was God and God told me to kill one of my children, I would say no. I would, t if an angel came to me and said that this is what God wants you to do, I would say, you go back to heaven and tell God, I'm not doing that. You know what that tells you? That tells you about the psychology of Braxton Hunter. It doesn't tell you anything about truth. Right. So you say, that's terrible of you. Yeah. Well, I'm entertaining a hypothetical that isn't the nature of reality anyway. And if it was the nature of reality, yeah, that's probably what I would do. So, um, I'm just telling you something about me. This is biographical information. All right. Uh, next question. Does God speak to you personally? Yeah. If God told you to kill me, would you do it? Bit like you had Cartesian certainty, God told you to tell uh, you to kill your kid, and you said no, even though you had Cartesian certainty, it was God telling you to do it. Would I kill him? Yeah. No, okay. uh, I, I'm even with, I would just be, I'd be like, I mean, I could, I'll beat him up. Um, <laughs> but you know, oh I don't know that gosh. I could, I don't know that I could, I don't have the constitution to kill anybody. So I'd be like, no, I'd be like, I, no, I, I would do the whole Moses thing. Be like, God, now you're asking me to kill the friendly atheist. He is a friendly <laughs> atheist. Um, but people are going to say, see that Yahweh, um, he just he just wants you to go around killing atheists. So so Yahweh, why don't uh, for for your name's sake, not not for the friendly atheist life that 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 I'm I'm not pleading on behalf of him. I'm pleading on behalf of your so I could I could have like a Mount Sinai moment with God, like Moses did. You know, God don't don't kill all those people. 
<laughs> yeah. Know? Now, don't it, start over with me. See, uh, I'm, I'm noticing so, examples in the chat of people talking about places where God told people to kill other people. You'll notice the first question had to do with child sacrifice. And I answered that accordingly. Has God ever told anyone to kill anybody else? Yes. Uh, there, but God would have good reasons for that. And we can talk about those case by case. But if God told me to kill the friendly atheist, I'm not going to kill a friendly atheist and neither is Jonathan. And that's a really good answer you gave, Jonathan. We ha- it may be that God's asking me this, the same reason he, he said that he was going to wipe out the Israelites to Moses and the same reason that uh, he, he did what he did with Abraham and Isaac is he may be inviting you to interact with him. It's like there are right. examples of this in Scripture. Whenever, uh, what, However you understand the story, when, when God shows up in the garden and wants to know where Adam is and where are you, Adam? Where, where are you at? You know, it's not that God doesn't know where Adam's at. It's God is inviting yeah. Adam. Like if I go into my kitchen and uh, see that my kids have gotten into the cookie jar when they weren't supposed to, and I say, uh-oh, did somebody get in the cookie jar? Jacqueline, did you get yeah. in the cookie jar? I know she got in the cookie jar. Everybody knows she got in the cookie yeah. jar. She's always getting in the no cookie answer jar. Question. <laughs> yeah, no answer questions happen all the time. Yeah. I'm inviting her to interact with me and maybe express some virtue. And it may be that if God asks such a thing about the friendly atheist, he doesn't want me to actually do that, but he's inviting me to interact and uh, do what you said. But God, this will damage your namesake or whatever, right? Yeah, but again, it's a hypothetical because, you know, the the, the original question was, does God speak to you? Well, audibly, uh, not me. I, I, I'm not saying I don't believe God never you know ever does that he may i don't know he may speak to other people i don't know um he doesn't speak to me audibly but does he speak to me in other ways yeah sure oh yeah does god speak to me i've never actually had an audible um i've never had an actual audible sort of thing like that uh, or, or something but i have had strong indications like you just described or referenced um I would like it. I think all Christians have probably asked for that at some point or another. I've never received it. Um, Yeah, that's the answer to that question. All right, uh, let's see where we're at. If God told you to... Is God always watching over you? How about when you're on the toilet? Yes. Me too. He's not bothered by that, and I'm not bothered by that. He's the creator of the universe. He designed my physical body. And so the idea that it would freak me out or freak him out to be watching over any of us while we're on the toilet is a weird thought. Maybe it's just a point of uh, humor or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as omnipresence goes, you know, everything is constantly present before him. There's nowhere that he's not present, right, uh, in, in a sense. So uh, that the answer to that question is yes. Uh, and like you said, it's not weird. Uh, now, there have been times um, where uh, at work, sometimes people cross paths in the restroom. And we do find it awkward, like not when you're, uh, you know, in their, pre- you know, not when you're like observing them because everyone's in their own stall, but sometimes it's uncomfortable to have conversations with people uh, in the restroom. Yeah. Right. Uh, when you're, when you're sitting on the commode and somebody's outside of your stall saying, Hey, how's your day going? You know? Yeah. It can be awkward. 
But for some reason, I don't find the doctrine of omniscience awkward <laughs> in the same way that I find it awkward with Braxton Hunter trying to talk to me while I'm sitting on the commode reading uh, my smartphone. So, yeah, and I think I think that the reason for that is is God is, you know, uh, this is where the divine hiddenness problem works in your favor because God's unobtrusive <laughs> while I'm uh, sitting on the commode, unlike uh, other humans are. Yeah, and uh, now it might be different. I've never once thought about this ever in my whole life until this question. But it may it may be that if it was Jesus, yeah, Mike Winger just showed up in time for the toilet questions. Great. We've talked about all kinds yeah. of heady stuff. And now Mike sees us talking about toilet. Now, but let's entertain this question. I've never thought about it. So no, God's omniscience doesn't bother me at all that he sees me, even when I'm on the toilet. But uh, what if Jesus, like in his earthly ministry, physically was standing outside the stall? Yeah, I'd probably feel a little weird about that. But again, all that tells you is biographical yeah. information about me, nothing else. Right, Mike, the Bible says always be prepared to give an answer. <laughs> And that's what we're doing. Even to stupid questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to the next. This is the last one. These are two questions. They're the last two. They're about Islam. What do you say to Muslims who believe the Quran is the holy book? Are they wrong? Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah, we think it's wrong. You know what I love? Uh yeah, imagine that Christians think Islam is wrong and the Quran is false. You, you, you know, this is this is the one advantage that Christianity has that I think works in its favor when it comes to our holy books. Okay, um, I I would actually feel uncomfortable with the Bible if it had one human author. You understand? So when religious texts uh, are composed, like the Book of Mormon has one human author. Right. The Quran supposedly has one human author uh, is attributed to it. We never attribute to the Bible a single human author. We attribute a single divine author who inspired a, a text through multiple humans over multiple centuries. And there's something that I feel more confident about when you examine the Bible, uh, you obliterate all the atheist nonsensical claims about it, and you see the cohesive story of redemption unfold in it over so many different centuries, spoken through so many different authors, there's something more reassuring than that than somebody centuries later coming along and saying, here's the final whole book, religious text, that, that supersedes all prior texts. That's not how the Bible was put together. The Bible was not um, you know, one single author superseding all previous uh, authors of divine revelation. So there's something comforting about that for me. Um, so yeah, I, I so w whether it's the Quran or uh, the Book of Mormon or somebody 20 years from now who writes his own religious book and says this is the Bible version 3.0, uh, I'm going to be like, no thanks. You know, just off <clears throat> the top and on on spec, I'm rejecting the single author Bible version 3.0 from whoever comes along with one. So. Yeah, um, for us, the historicity and um, the witness of Scripture and the historicity for the Christian faith, uh, the arguments seem to defeat other 
religious claims. And so, obviously, as a Christian, we think the Book of uh, Mormon is bunk. We think the Quran is bunk. We think Islam is bunk. Sorry. That, now, they, they could, I, it doesn't mean that they don't. It's possible that these kind of texts could have truths in them. But that, but in general, they're false. Uh, here's the interesting thing. You kind of hit on this, but there is an assumption that among YouTube atheists, and clearly he has this assumption, that all these books are equal. And you've just been talking about why they shouldn't be considered equal. But it's like a, one religious book or, or a combination of books is as good as the next religious text. So, yeah, you Christians think the Bible, um, but these Muslims think that uh, the Quran. So what do you do? Who am I to pick? Well, do an examination and see. And first of all, right. as you hinted at a moment ago, if one of them is a 600-year-later uh, redaction or, or changes or, or is adding more prophecy or whatever, um, you know, the Quran says, he did not die, they did not crucify him about Jesus. Is that in conflict with Christian theology and what the New Testament says? At the core, it's in conflict with the New Testament. So should I believe the earlier document or the one written 600 years later, like you said, by one guy, which one should I which should I believe? Um, it seems pretty clear to me. Uh, Mike makes a good point. He says Hemet Meta thinks they are wrong. Not only that he goes out of his, not only that he goes out of his way to tell them and mock them, and he does the same to Christianity. But he thinks this is a challenge to our views. Like, yeah, we think they're wrong too. And if you can say they're wrong, we can say they're wrong. And uh, but then we also make the distinctions that we've just made, which is we're not just saying they're wrong. Um, you know, a priori. You can investigate this thing. Look at the reasons why Christians believe the New Testament. Look at the reasons why Muslims believe the Quran, what the apologetics are. You know, one of the apologetics for the Quran is that it it, it is so beautiful. So the thinking is, this is how um, God reveals himself to people according to the cultural appreciations that they have. So if you go back to the time of the Exodus, um, he, with Pharaoh and his magicians, you know, he did all these things that were like, seem like party tricks, you know. Um, that's how people appreciated, uh, you know, the, the interaction of the gods or whatever back then. So that's how God does it. This is what they, this, this is what the Muslims say. So you, so he interacts by doing that sort of a thing through Moses. Uh, later on, uh, people were impressed by uh, prophecies and stuff. So the prophets did that. In the time of Jesus, it was these kind of miraculous healings, and so that's what Jesus does. And so what they say is, by the time of the um, writing of the Quran, what people appreciated was beautifully written literature. And so the miracle of the Quran is that it's so beautifully written, the most beautiful piece of literature that's ever been written by a human hand, which I don't speak Arabic, but my understanding is that's just simply false. And so, um, and so that's supposed to be the claim. This is a commission of a fallacy that is known as the design fallacy. And the design fallacy is if something is beautiful enough, it should be, it's true or it should be believed. And as I pointed out many times, uh, the movie What Dreams May Come featuring Robin Williams from the late 90s, and I haven't seen it in a long time. It might not have held up well, but it is a beautiful depiction of afterlife and reincarnation and all these kind of things. Beautiful. I mean, I remember sitting there as a late teenager just being blown away by just being touched by the beauty. That beauty does not mean that its depiction of the afterlife or reincarnation is true any more than the Lord of the Rings is true because it's beautiful, right? Right. And likewise, the Book of Judges is not beautifully written, um, <laughs> but that doesn't make it false, right? right. So, 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 yeah. But to be fair, I have heard some, not many, but some Christians make the same claim about the Bible, and they shouldn't. Yeah, that's you don't do that. Not to say yeah, that don't. the Bible. Not to say that 
as a whole, the Bible is not a beautiful literary expression, uh, specifically yeah. certain uh, books. But um, yeah, don't do that. All right. Uh, last, yeah, when so, you compare the Book of Revelation to the the uh, to Luke's Gospel, for example, you can tell uh, one of those uh, is a lot prettier Greek than the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of them is better written in Greek than the other. I mean, it's pretty obvious. So uh, we don't. Yeah, don't make claims like that. It, you don't need to. Well, Jonathan, um, it's been about an hour and twenty minutes, and we got through all the questions that I lined up for this episode. We got to question number thirty-five. Uh, there are 78 questions. So I was wrong. I was wrong. You didn't, I thought we, you didn't think we'd make it. Well, yeah, but I didn't think that it's, or I also didn't think that it'd been an hour and 20 minutes. So yeah, we're just droning on forever. We need to shut up and get off. We do. Now, uh, I don't know if you folks are into this stuff or not. This has not been the most well-attended live stream, so <laughs> maybe not. Mm. Uh, but we've had fun and we're glad that you all stayed with us. Thanks for the chat. Uh, we've really enjoyed it. Thanks for the super chat. That was a lot of fun. And uh, what you need to do is you need to check out the other great shows, uh, Leighton Flowers, Soteriology 101, uh, The Guys of the Bible Brodown, uh, Steve Gregg's The Narrow Path. Um, also, uh, if you're interested in seminary, check out Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary at trinitysim.edu. And uh, number one, whatever else you take away from this, take this from it. And this is not an apologetic argument. This is the preaching of the gospel. Um, we are all sinners and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of that, um, all of us stand condemned. But Jesus, the Son of God, died for the sin of the world. He was dead, buried, and rose again um, and conquered death that you can one day rise from the dead. And you just need to trust and uh, repent of your sins. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, you say, well, I don't know what to say to God. I don't know what to pray. You just need to tell the Lord that you know you're a sinner, that, you're, that you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, as Romans 10, 9 says, and then you need to uh, place your faith in Christ. That doesn't mean just saying a prayer and then it's one and done. That means committing to a life of service to your new patron. And so we invite you to do that, and you can contact me at bracketatrinityradio.org to tell me all about it. I really appreciate that you were here, and we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.